Welcome to the Remington Podcast, where we take a deep dive into all things ammunition. I'm your host, Audrey Mays. Today, we're diving into deer hunting with Director of Marketing Joel Hodgden, Director of Centerfire Products Chris Carson, and Head of Research and Development John Langenfeld. We're going to touch on everything from guided hunts to finding the trophies on your own. Let's dive in. So first, I want to start off with... You know, how do you select a proper cartridge for the species that you're looking for? Well, that's a pretty big question because I think a lot of it has to do with uh, where you live, Mm -hmm. um, what distances you intend to shoot. Uh, I think historically, brush busting type cartridges limited range you know 30 30s 35 remingtons are notorious for your thick timber land you know up in the northeast things like that and your western hunters uh, are typically using more flat shooting cartridges 270 seven millimeter magnums things like that so uh, i think at the end of the day though uh, a deer cartridge should be what you can shoot well um, something that uh, you're comfortable with you like the rifle doesn't kick too much is accurate and um, you know you can really take and harvest whitetails or mule deer with uh, the whole spectrum of centerfire rifle cartridges but uh, getting you know if you had to pick one um, you know I mean I've got personal preferences I think the you know the legacy the 270 Winchester um, is a perfect deer cartridge it's been around for a number of years mild recoil shoots flat is effective, uh, but there's a lot of you know longer range cartridges in use today, higher performance stuff. Um, you know, we come out with the 360 Buckhammer, uh, and it's done a phenomenal job taking whitetails so far. Uh, but again, that's more of a, a limited range, uh, you know, 200 yards and in. So a lot of it depends on the terrain and and just kind of what you like. So um, getting more into bullet performance and and that would probably be uh, more you know critical than just what particularly what cartridge you're using. Mm-hmm. So if I say I'm going for, you know, a thicker skinned animal like a moose or something, Mm -hmm. what kind of bullet am I looking for? Uh, Well, you're going to be probably looking at a a controlled expansion. You know, moose are heavy boned. Uh, You know, you're going to need deeper penetration so that you can get to the vitals. So looking at, uh, you know, we've done the the A-frame. We've loaded A-frame bullets in the past. That would be a perfect bullet uh, for moose. You know, bonded projectiles. Again, it all comes down to the penetration depth and how quickly the bullet opens uh, and holds its weight so that you can, you know, get deep in the vitals uh, from a cartridge standpoint. Uh, again, you know, today uh, there's a lot of people using cartridges that are uh, smaller caliber than before because they're realizing that you don't need big, heavy bullets to, uh, to get deep penetration. You can have higher sectional densities and better ballistic coefficients with uh, smaller calibers and, and higher you know, bullet weight in those calibers. So your typical, you know, what I call a moose cartridge from 30, 40 years ago isn't necessarily always true what uh, what you could use today. But, um, you know, tough bullets, uh, is, you know, you can shoot a deer with a, an A-frame and it'll definitely work. But if you're trying to get optimum for bullet expansion and energy, you know, deposited within the animal, uh, you know, the A-frame may be a little too tough. And you can, you know, drop down to the core locks and Siroccos and, uh, you know, spear impacts and things like that that we we offer uh, in the product line. Mm-hmm. And um, you said maybe a little too tough. Is there such thing as over, overkill when it comes to cartridge selection? Mm, well, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say overkill because you can use 
larger calibers with bullets that uh, open up quick. So it's really about penetration depth. Okay. And um, and that bullet expansion diameter. So if a bullet opens up very big and wide, uh, it's going to slow down quicker. Uh, and so. Also, if it loses weight, as you lose weight, you don't penetrate as deep. So uh, let's just say, for example, you shoot a deer with a, a really tough bullet, shoot him you know, behind the shoulder through the lungs. It's going to exit, um, and your internal performance, you know, the damage in, done internally, may not be quite what it could be using a bullet that opens up quicker, opens up larger, sheds some weight, and then uh, you know, you'll just have more you know, shock, you'll have more trauma to the internals. And, uh, you know, where that deer might run, you know, 20 yards with one bullet might run 50 yards with the tougher one because, you know, your temporary wound cavity and everything would be smaller. Mm. And I think, I think you can have overkill on a cartridge selection, right? If you're taking your 338 Wapua and just smacking a white tail at 50 yards, you run the risk of, of over penetration, right? I think of a penciling through as guys put it, right? You're not getting that expansion. You're um, transferring a lot of force. And I think, you know, folks tend to forget force is coming out on, on both ends of that rifle, right? So, you know, you up your grain weight, you up your propellant, you up your velocity. Well, you're taking that back on the shoulder. So for me, I think I try to pick that cartridge that's big enough to get the job done, mm -hmm. but not so big that I'm getting rocked around on recoil. I can't get back on my scope and figure out, Hey, if I got to take that second shot, that follow-up shot, where am I at? Right. Um, so I would say for something like a whitetail, you know, John, you're right. You can use just about anything. They're, they're pretty thin screen, skin critters that, you know, whether you're going something on the smaller end, like a, you know, a, a 260, a 65 Creed, perfect, perfect cartridges for a whitetail. Um, on the larger end, you mentioned some of those 30 cal classic big deer woods cartridges like 35 Remington, 3030, 360 Buckhammer. Um, it's just all about what kind of distance you're going to be shooting at and, and how that cartridge, how that bullet performs across that range of, of velocity spectrum. Gotcha. And uh, what did you uh, use to shoot your monster this year? I got super lucky. I did. I shot a pretty big deer. I'm mostly here to brag today on this podcast. <laughs> so uh, hopefully you can throw up a, a nice picture of me with, with that bruiser. Um, I shot back home in Kansas, but uh, we were shooting 360 buck hammer. Mm -hmm. So I was using a uh, fancy new prototype bullet. I'll put it that way that we're going to be loading in 360 buck hammer here pretty soon. And, um, you know, I think uh, if I can drop a little hint, John, you were talking about different types of bullets and bullet construction. Well, one thing we should probably touch on is, is, a, is a monolithic design, an mm -hmm. all-copper design. Sure. So I was using an all-copper bullet mm -hmm. when I shot my white tail. And um, maybe we can talk about how that all-copper bullet differs than a traditional cup and core lead bullet. For sure. Any well, thoughts? <laughs> so it's, a, it's all about a level of toughness. Uh -huh. And so uh, historically, your monolithic bullets have been uh, on the tough side. You know, they are usually 9,900% weight retention. Um, there are some bullets on the market today that are uh, monolithic that are designed to lose the front end, uh, where you do shed weight to try to uh, create that bigger, you know, entry, uh, you know, Wound channel, um, you know, pedals flying around, getting in, you know, the lungs and all that kind of stuff rather than, you know, just having normal pedals expand and punch in a hole. So uh, I haven't used any of those yet. They're intriguing. Um, but, uh, you know, anecdotally, uh, when you 
Chedway have rapid expansion uh, on on animals like a whitetail in that size. You typically will see more effective, you know, bang flop type reaction. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Excuse me. And uh, the uh, the tougher it is, you know, you're going to punch holes. You know, now it's not ineffective. Um, you're just not going to shed all the weight and everything. And so, uh, right now, there's really two uh, two forms of the the monolithics out there. Um, one of them that'll be 100% weight retention, and other ones that'll probably be about uh, 60%, 70%. And I think that you're going to see more of a uh, traditional type, you know, cup and core bullet performance as far as on game with those. Again, I haven't used them yet. Mm -hmm. Um, I've just read about them, and I have some friends that have used them. So I think they're very interesting. But, uh, you know, again, being educated on the type of projectile that you're using uh, is very important so that you get the results uh, that you're looking for. Um, You know, you don't hear too much about bullet failure today, you know, like you did when the Magnum craze started many years ago and cup and core bullets just weren't designed to impact at those high velocities. But uh, it still does happen. You know, there's hand loaders that take bullets that really, you know, say, for instance, were designed for a uh, 4570 and they launch them out of a 458 lot and uh, you just don't get the penetration you need you know that bullet wasn't designed for that kind of velocity and impact so um, like I said there's reasons and and thoughts behind uh, the design intent of how fast they're going what they impact what they do how deep they penetrate so learning about what you're shooting and what you're going after uh, will put the odds in your favor when you squeeze the trigger Mm -hmm. what where can people find that information about bullet type well, there's a lot. There's policy. a lot of it in in uh, in the Remington catalog. You mm-hmm. know, as you as you read those uh, on the websites, uh, you can see you know what they're intended for. We put icons on boxes, you know, to try to help educate consumers. You know, if it's really geared more toward uh, your larger, thick, uh, thick skin, heavy bone, you know, elk, moose, things like that, or if it's down in the deer antelope category. Um, and they can also call customer service and ask questions. We, we, you know, are more than happy to answer those if people just want to say, hey, you know, how does your core lock tip perform relative to a Sirocco or something? And, you know, like I said, just research. If it's, uh, you know, if we're loading a purchase bullet like a Swift, get on Swift's website, read about it, see how much weight retention it has, you know, what the recommended usage is for. And then uh, you can just start to compare that. But there's also a lot of material out there just in general that's not specific to Remington and in books and magazines that talk about bullet performance and uh, where they're used and, and the history of design evolution of bullets over the years. And Chris, you've shot a lot of copper bullets back to the barns days. Maybe you could talk about, cause that copper technology that's changed a lot in the last 20, 30 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Remington and Barnes were partnered together for, for several years uh, before the most recent split. Um, and you're really dealing with two different markets, you know, in the, in the South where we are, there's, there's not a lot of, I guess, desire or need or want for a, a copper bullet, unless that's just what you're, what you're after. So there was a learning curve for, for Remington. Okay. We, we've got a different market as opposed to these guys that are shooting these out West. So what are we doing differently? How do we need to market this differently? Uh, go after this different audience. But when we we talk to the hunters out west, you, you've got some of those guys that hey, we we like the copper, whether it's Barnes or, or whoever. Uh, 
what what are you offering now? And so that that prompted us to, hey, we've got a we've got a, a line to fill back in since we don't offer that bullet anymore. So it, that's where we started looking at at cut. We had the opportunity cut, meaning the copper tip bullet. That's where we had the opportunity this year. John and I went on a hunt. We you know one of the advantages of what we do, we get to not only draw it on paper and talk about it in meetings, but get to go actually use the product to to, to see what it does because we're not just engineers by trade or design we're actual users of the product so yep. um it it makes a difference whether you're shooting shotguns or shooting rifles or pistols to to be able to talk to a consumer or talk to a writer uh, hey hey i know how this works on both sides not just in a lab but but in the field so both of us went on a mule deer hunt uh, this year in Utah and were successful. We were using the, the copper tip product. So uh, riders were, were excited and we were excited because there, you know, there's a lot of unknowns when you're, when you're just starting with stuff and you're, you're crossing your fingers and <laughs> you don't want uh, riders to have a bad experience because you're, you're, you're there for them first and foremost, because they're pumping your product and going to, you know, relay information to the consumer as they, as the seasons come along. But, uh, you know, a lot of people don't realize we're, we work a season before uh, the product actually comes out. So we got to get information for next fall's launch as far as riders and product testing the season before, you know, otherwise you don't have the photos, you don't have the, the data to, for the, for the publication. So, so we're, we're getting that info now and you, you want all that to be a positive experience for uh, whether it's a, a YouTube guy or a TV show guy or, or a magazine writer. So um, you know, we had three different guys with us on our trip and all three shot deer and all had, you know, exciting, positive experiences, I would say. So um, we, we had that history in the past uh, with a different brand of bullet. So, so doing something on our own now was, you know, was, you know, something we, we, tested here we saw results to apply them to the field you know it's it's a rewarding experience from that side it is so so copper tips are new premier cut it's yes, a copper tip bullet right. um so we've had corelock copper in the lineup for about a year mm-hmm. which is more of that traditional kind of performance mimicking that classic corelock you know a white tail bullet right quick expansion quick energy transfer for the, those Western hunters and for those folks hunting a, a mule deer or an elk or something out West, a little longer range, um, we wanted that tip copper bullet to be able to stretch its legs a little bit and shoot a little flatter, a little bit of BC um, and be able to go do that. And so, you know, I know that I think copper bullets originally kind of got a bad reputation years and years ago because they didn't um, open up and transfer energy and, and maybe push, um, into a critter as, as well as I should have, um, they overpenetrated, right. I mm-hmm. think was kind of the, the bias against them, but thanks to some modern technology, we use things like bullet skiving, um, nose cuts. We've kind of engineered these bullets to, to open up a little bit more reliably and, um, probably produce better results on game. Yeah. We both shot at different distances. Mine was two around two fifty, and yours was over 400, 400. 400. Yep. So, you know, you know, it's nice to be able to not just shoot something at 50 yards, a hundred yards to actually stretch things out. And, and, you know, we can shoot gel and targets all day long here. Uh, but real world applications are, are, you know, validate the data that we have. So yeah. it's, it's and good to, you might not get that broadside 
perfect sure. photo shot in the field, right? You might be having to shoot kind of quartering two, quartering away, maybe having to, to take a shot on the shoulder, right? Or a high shoulder or someplace where you might hit some bone and, and have to punch through some hard material than just into your pie pan vital zone. So I think that's where copper shines for me is when you have to take some of those shots into a, a more tougher, harder critter, right? Your moose, your elk, or when you might have that shot through, through a shoulder, um, or at a bad angle where you're going to need a bullet that's going to get that penetration depth in a way that a, a traditional lead bullet, you know, may stop a little short, right? If you have a, a bad shot or a bad angle. It's all the, all the operator a lot of times. So yeah. It's, it's, yeah, yeah. You gotta be able yeah. to make the shot first. So, yeah. I mean, you, this topic is highly controversial and has been for years. I mean, writers have went back and forth about this, where they want a bullet to stay inside an animal. You want a bullet to have an exit hole. Um, so there's all personal opinions. And I always, in, you know, inquire with uh, people that I'm hunting with, whether it's writers, guides, and see, you know, what do they use? What do they like to see? Because I'm always curious to see what the opinion is. And, um, you know, there's guys shooting uh match bullets out there right mm -hmm. now you know they're branded as match bullets that uh people will swear by them you know would i use them well you know depends on what the penetration depth is but you know i'm like you when the chips are down i gotta have a bullet that's going to get to the vitals and uh i think it depends on you know the selection could be whether you're going on a big game hunt somewhere you know you've saved up a bunch of money and you're going to go out west and and you're going to get maybe one opportunity and uh, when that shot presents itself or you loaded with a bullet that's going to get there uh, versus you know sitting in your local state where you've got a month to go deer hunting and uh you know you're you got more time, more selection to, to have that perfect broadside shot. You might select a different bullet or a different cartridge. Um, so I don't think there's a really a, a right or a wrong answer just as long as it's, uh, you know, ethical and it cleanly harvests the game that you're after. But uh, I think there's a lot of variables that go into it. But, I mean, people can argue all day long whether or not they want to use a 6.5 Creedmoor versus a 270 or a 338 Win Mag with a bonded bullet or a cup and core bullet. So, um so there's a lot of options. That's why we've got a full catalog full of cartridges. Yeah, definitely. And, and Joel knows this about me, but <clears throat> excuse me, I'm a 270 girl. <laughs> Who do you always compare me to? Jack O'Connor. Jack O'Connor. Oh, yeah. yeah. Classic. Yeah. yeah. Call her Eleanor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm okay with that. Um, but yeah, I think that it's a really not controversial, but people get really passionate about sure, their calibers. Absolutely. And they're very loyal um, to those calibers like Jack O'Connor. Yeah. And, and, and that's because it, it's based off your personal experience, your family's personal experience, mm -hmm. maybe what you first took out in the deer woods or what you shot first. Um, but we all kind of go back to our own personal experience. And sometimes you got to look at the data and say, hey, you know, call up Remington or open that catalog and see kind of what we're showing because it might work well for you and your gun, but mm -hmm. I might have a different 270 that shoots something completely different and likes different kinds of bullets. Definitely. Yeah. Rifle construction is something we didn't even touch on that also plays a big factor in it. So um, I think one thing that we can all agree on though is shoot your rifle before you go shoot yes, an animal. Yes, practice, practice, practice. Yes. Same thing with patterning shotgun. You got to shoot at targets first, right? Yep. The more time you spend behind the trigger and, you know, you got to know where it hits. Uh, you got to know where it's zeroed in at. You need to know your capability, the rifle's capability, the accuracy of the system uh, so that you don't stretch it too far. 
And, uh, you know, you want to have absolute confidence uh, in your capability when you get down to squeeze the trigger, but also, you know, practicing in positions that you think you might encounter in the field. Lay down, shoot over your backpack, rest against the, you know, the pole at the pavilion at the range. Uh, you know, shoot off a bipod. Don't just sit on the sandbags. You know, once the gun's sighted in and, and it's, uh, you know, you've got an accurate load, the more you can do to practice. And, I mean, he'll do 15 jumping jacks get your heart pumping you know because uh, you know there's going to be a big deer or an elk standing there and you're probably not going to going to be cool calm and collected so try to replicate that stuff and think ahead carry shooting sticks things like that that's probably you know the number one um conversation uh piece that that i've had with uh guides is um a client's preparedness to be able to shoot and shoot quickly uh there's not there's times where you're going to encounter an animal that is, <coughs> excuse me, the one that you want to harvest, and you haven't got very long to get that shot off. And so um, being able to do that and know your rifle and your equipment will probably make you uh, more successful just overall. Yeah, and, and a lot of people don't know this, but there are certain ways to be good clients and bad clients when you go to outfitters, right? I've never had the opportunity to go on a guided hunt before, but that's what I've been told. It's true. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, you, you hear can the be around persnickety people that – First off, they may not be able to make that shot, and they need you to close the distance or provide them a different angle. Or, and you know, I've I've seen guides kind of scratch their head, like, "Well, why, why are you here if you can't <laughs> if you can't adapt to the situation that's presented for that animal?" Because it's not always like John said, hundred yard sandbag standing still. It's mm-hmm. it it can yeah. be quick, and you've got to be ready mm-hmm. right then and adapt to that situation you know i just speaking of experience from this year you know the the deer that that i was able to take we'd watched for an hour uh going veins and or valleys and drains and and he he popped up and i had sticks already up and was was semi-ready i mean i i didn't know if that deer was going to be there or not but it wasn't going to do any good to have a gun laying on a backpack and and waiting for him to give me a a go signal it was you you wherever you're at whether you're in a stand box stand uh sitting down you you you've got to have the mind frame that it that you might have been sitting for hours and not seeing anything but you still got to have the the aptitude or the preparedness that any minute you could flip the switch and i'd say most hunters are are that way they're they can get surprised of course but mm-hmm. but uh, you've got to be able to adjust to it might come out on your left side right side and i, I got to be prepared you know can i shoot left-handed if i have to you know you don't want to but yeah, but yeah. but in anything i was in illinois two weeks ago and this particular stand i was in i was trying to adjust to shoot right-handed if these deer came out and i was like that's that's not gonna work so i you know i sat there for a few minutes okay let's let's make this left-handed shot work if we have to never did but never had to but but you gotta you gotta adjust and be ready if to do what you need to or i mean because you may not get a second opportunity especially on a big deer and your guide's your best advocate, right? If you're going on that guided hunt, um, before you get out there, you know, call them up and talk to your outfitter and say, hey, you know what, what kinds of distances are, are you taking shots at this season, last season? You know, what what kinds of critters do you guys have out there? And they'd probably send you some pictures or send you some examples of, you know, the size of deer, the, the kind of deer that you ought to expect. Um, and they're going to tell you pretty quick, you know, I think some of the, the best hunts I've been on, that man, that, that guy to that outfitter, I mean, they're going to give you an equipment list. They're going to kind of help you get tuned up and ready for your hunt. So you're right, John, you got to practice and know your rifle and be ready to take a shot, Chris. But I think too, you can kind of do a lot of that homework ahead of time and, and arrive, you know, confident and knowing what you're going after too. 
Yeah, I think uh, I'm, well, I know that you do a lot of Kansas hunting and I know that before you had the opportunity to do outfitter hunting, you've done a lot of boots on the ground stuff, mm-hmm. but I know that Chris does <laughs> still, right? Yeah, I, I was in Kansas last weekend. I, Joel was there the week before me, but uh, I had a youth, or I did not have a youth tag. My 12-year-old Noah had a <laughs> youth tag, so we, we spent four days bumping around trying to trying to fill his tag and then I was gonna hunt if, if he was successful he wasn't unfortunately but I uh, saw saw some deer just not the deer we were after but kind of going back to uh, being prepared we were in box stands we were in you know makeshift uh, brush blinds uh, every situation was di- we were even laying on the ground uh, behind some rocks so every situation was different and even at 12 years old he understood I've got to be able to shoot on these sticks um, because that deer could come out from here or there, but I don't think you can over-prepare in something like that. So he, he'd shot his rifle at, you know, he's, I wouldn't put him at anything past 200 yards. I'm not saying he's a, you know, a long range shooter, but he was comfortable at that distance. And that's what we worked with beforehand when we would get to a spot. Okay. This is what we can, I know he's comfortable with, and I don't want him to be in a situation that can exceed his capabilities. So mm-hmm. let's, let's tailor it to him. But uh, Kansas is a fun place for me. I like, you know, it's from Arkansas where we, where we go is roughly six hours. Uh, so it's easy for, Arkies to get there and you'll always see Arkansas license plates, whether it's turkey season or, or deer season in Kansas. And I don't know how much the Kansas folks like us in, <laughs> invading their state, but, but, uh, um, a lot of, you know, big deer in Kansas, it's just, uh, fun to go to and easy to get to for us. A good example of a state where, you know, in, in the Eastern half of Kansas where I grew up, it's a lot of rolling hills and timber and it kind of looks a lot like Missouri and a lot of water and it's interspersed with some crop and ag land. And so, you know, I've been on, on hunts in Kansas where it's almost like a bow hunt, you know, you're set up in a tree stand, you're shooting 30 yards to a feeder or 30 yards to a deer trail and that's it. And the same day, you know, you know, you go out in the afternoon and you're set up in another tree stand or in a box blind and you're looking 400 yards across a, across a cornfield. Right. And so that goes back to our point about, Hey, you got to be kind of ready to take that, that close shot or take that further shot and trust your bullet really Mm. to help you do either or. Yeah, definitely. How, how do you go about finding where, where to hunt a, a whitetail in Kansas or anywhere really? You thinking public hunt or, or, or outfitters or what are you asking? Yeah. I'm thinking like, let's say you have a hundred acre plot, right? And you have, you're able to hunt anywhere on this plot. How do you find those pinch points where you know that those whitetail are going to be? Well, Aerials are always an advantage to look at, especially with today. You've got all the, the apps, whether it's Onyx or what whatnot, hunt stand and, and, and a lot of hunt those. stand. Yeah. And so, here, here's the piece of property I have. What am What am I gonna? Uh, let me back up. You know, I, I used to hunt a piece of Kansas that was a little bit farther north. Well, I couldn't drive up there every weekend, so you'd study an aerial and give yourself a head start. Um, this is this looks good to me, but then when you go there, it might be completely different. You know, crops are in or out. Um, water's here, but you know, a deer wants protection. And they want food, and they want to be around other deer. So Mm -hmm. what what do I, what information do I have? And it may be that they aren't even on the piece of property that you have access to, you know, especially if it's a a hundred acres, but where are they transitioning over to your piece of property, whether it's food or maybe that's bedding area. So it's, 
it's a, it's like studying anything else. You've got to work with what you've got um, and, you know, go from there. I mean, it may be that your piece of property is just transition, like I saying, or it may be that they're coming to eat there in the evenings only and mm-hmm. or they're leaving in the morning. So maybe you only hunt that piece in the evening. So it's, it's kind of tricky. I mean, that, that would be completely different than a big timber hunt in Arkansas where you're on... 3,000 acres of timber uh, is going to be completely different than a Midwest type hunt. Uh, you're, you're hunting hardwoods, you're hunting pines, you're, you know, you're hunting lanes, you know, you're hunting open patches. Uh, it's, you know, every, every area is going to be approached a little bit differently, but it doesn't matter where you are, deer wants cover and food. So. And boots on the ground. You, yeah. know, you can definitely start off with Google Earth or Onyx or HuntStand or any of those, but if you can spend some time on that on that property preseason and help your buddy out with kind of getting the place ready or helping the landowner out with you know whatever you got to do, um, just really kind of seeing hey where where are these tracks at? Where's some scrapes at? Where the deer like to be? You know, knowing that area around there and saying where's the water source. To your point, Chris, about cover and, and food, that's huge. Um, and then kind of setting yourself for success and, and knowing like how wind plays into it too. And the morning of, and kind of checking and making sure you're in the right spot and you're not pushing scent towards, towards those folks. Cause you might, you might have the perfect stand right on that pinch point, you know, between two good food sources going towards cover. But, um, unless, you know, uh, if, if the wind's not working in your favor, you might not want to sit that stand that morning. So I think you, you can do your homework too. And then. And the fun part is, you know, morning of, you just never quite know what you're going to go get. Yeah, the well, one the thing part. that you guys had mentioned is, is trail cameras are so popular today yeah. with the cellular that they do. So, you know, I know, Chris, you've done it before where you'll have a camera in Illinois sending him pictures of spots that, you know, he's had an opportunity to run up and throw a camera down and then come back to Arkansas and see if what he thought on that aerial map was a good place, if he's seeing a, you know, activity or not or, you know. Yeah, and it's mm-hmm. interesting. I've, we've been to Utah. I've hunted Illinois and Kansas also this year. What the rules are for cameras in each state completely different. You know, we can, you can put corn or rice bran or what down in Arkansas and at our place, you're trying to just gain inventory. What deer in the area, what deer in there in Illinois, you can't bait. So you've got a camera out on a trail or the edge of a field and you're just at the mercy of what happens to walk by. So uh, to me, that, that makes it more of a challenge as far as, inventorying your your deer and and in utah which is a completely much bigger landscape anyhow rules were completely different out there i couldn't speak to what all they are but uh uh their their rules you know were even more limiting so i think the i think trail cams are a great tool obviously and they're they're easier to use in certain places but uh, uh you can't discount data that you get from those by any means definitely and like what joel had to duck out because he is meeting our friends over from rem arms but um what joel was saying boots on the ground like i have found more whitetail based off of what trees make more acorns you know like figuring out like your landscape and and learning and thinking like a deer <laughs> Back to the food. Doesn't matter where it comes from. Yeah. Food, food, food. Always back to the food. And I think protection and cover is a really good point to bring up. Um, Deer don't like to be seen. So they're going to hide and they want somewhere to hide. Right. That's right. Yeah. Well, I want to go to the other spectrum of um, the outfitter at this point. How, how do you as a, as a person 
if you've never been with an outfitter before, how do you find a good one? Mm, well, fortunately for me, uh, I've got a lot of friends who I grew up and and had hunting big game, you know, using outfitters. And so I think a lot of it is probably word of mouth for me personally. That's how it was. Um, reputable sources. You know, there's good ones and there's bad ones. And so, uh, you know, people uh, had learned before me and said, hey, you know, if you want to go hunt antelope, you want to hunt mule deer, whatever, you know, here's resources that you can use. So I think there's probably a lot of it that's, that is that way. Um, I mean, everybody's probably knows somebody who's hunted big game and, and can give you a recommendation on how to start, who to talk to, what you want to do, what state you want to go to, things like that. Um, if I was starting from scratch and I didn't know anybody, I would probably maybe look at, uh, you know, one of these conventions like Western Hunt uh, and, you know, just start talking to people. And then uh, online is a great resource. You know, uh, I'd probably walk through and get pamphlets and, say, you know, let's just say you want to hunt mule deer. Well, I'd be going around saying who's all the mule deer outfitters. And then and then I'd get online mm -hmm. and then I'd start researching, you know, uh, looking reviews. And then uh, a lot of times outfitters will uh, they'll supply uh, reference lists. So you can call past clients. Um you know, your good outfitters usually are hard to get into because they've got repeat clients every year, uh, but, it, you know, for good reason. So, uh, but you can get the reference lists and call and talk to them and see what they think and, and go from there. But that's been my history with it. Um, and, and that's been, you know, in Western United States and, and Africa and, um, like I said, word of mouth. And I, I think I think it also, you have to, Factor in what are you looking for? Mm -hmm. uh, there's different grades yes, and types. There, of there are, there's a big spectrum there. Yeah, there there are people that want five star everything, which is perfectly fine. Uh, where maybe the deer aren't as big, and if we're talking deer, turkeys, ducks, it doesn't matter. Uh, but they're comfortable. That's that's fine. I mean, I've hunted in places where you can see through the walls at night and but you had great opportunities at, at turkeys or whatever uh, I'm kind of in a situation now uh, with my kids age I'm trying to take them on trips as well and it's it's easy to get to to the Midwest from where we are so you know when I've the guy I've, I'd work with in Kansas that my first trip with him was with a youth turkey hunt do you cater or do you work with kids um, well I hadn't thought about it but yeah let's do it so uh, that's what started a relationship that led into the deer side so he's got kids at his house for they're roughly the the same age you know and it, it works out that you know it's it's not five-star lodging but don't need that I'm looking for something that's fairly close and works with kids at this time so that's you know we've got a relationship we've done several trips and you know my kid and his kid were texting each other when they left Sunday hey we're sorry you already left you know so they're ready to see each other in the spring so that's 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 one thing you want to factor in if, if you're looking for kids because uh, there's some outfitters that don't really want to they don't they don't cater to that. I'm not saying they should. That's good or bad. But uh, what are you after as far as lodging? What are you after as far as animal size? Uh, and then, of course, price is going to be the, a big thing for everybody because um, there's the full spectrum. And, and also how much you want to be involved. I mean, you can go on 
places as simple as base camp leasing or one of those outfits that just leases you a piece of land uh, in whatever state you want to go lease in and you you're doing everything you you're just leasing a chunk of land whether it's 80 acres or 800 acres and you and some guys have access to it and you're going to set up your own stands to uh, you know full picking you up at the airport and preparing your meals and caping your animals out so there's there's a full spectrum of of uh opportunities and you you just what's what's in your budget don't don't ever exceed what you can do and get yourself in a bind just because you want to go hunting but uh find what find what fits and what's comfortable for you and and you know save up for a couple years even if it means you can't go one year uh, and you got to save up for two or three to go out of state on one trip it's it's fun to get away from home and and do something different even if it's only something you can do every once in a while so there you have it guys Remington is on the rise like comment subscribe and be sure to share this podcast with your hunting or shooting buddies be on the lookout for the next episode you can find us anywhere you stream podcasts And for more Remington content, follow us on all social media platforms at Remington1816. Interested in the full, unedited interview? Watch this podcast episode on YouTube. Our page is youtube.com slash at Remington. If you have any questions or have a topic you'd like us to talk about, feel free to email us at podcast at remington.com. That's P-O-D-C-A-S-T at remington.com. Thanks for listening.